morning everybody. Welcome to a new episode. Um, today we're going to talk about hypergrace. Um, there's these people that have been going around because of the grace of God. They believe that the grace of God automatically omits them from any sin, past, present, or future. In that sense, they're basically saying they have a, a ticket to sin. And with that, now a lot of hyper-gracers will probably deny this, or they will try to defend this, and there is no defense for this. See, everybody sins. Everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a priest, if you're a nun, if you're just anybody in general. You can be a minister, you can be a pastor, you can be a, just a, a, a disciple, you can be anybody that's trying to live righteously for God. But the thing is, is that temptation always hits us at points in time, and that temptation can always be a very big struggle for most people. What people need to really grasp about temptation and about Satan is that the temptation of Satan will lead people to the sin. See, a lot of issues that come from hypergrace doctrines or doctrines that produce grace as the means of, you know, salvation, they go into a hypergracism. Which the hypergracism is basically saying, ah, oh, it's just by the grace of God I'm saved, so I can do whatever I want. And that's not how it works. The Bible explicitly makes it clear that it's not how it works. The issue with doctrines today, especially today, because when you go back to the doctrines of the 1500s, you know, and beforehand, during the Protestant Reformation, is these doctrines were created to help explain the Bible in a way that the Catholic Church that didn't agree with the Catholic Church um, and, or the Orthodox Church at the time because that was the, um, the Protestant Reformation is when the Great Schism happened or after the Great Schism happened around 12, uh, 1054 the Great Schism happened and um when we go through this and we understand that the Protestant Reformation had these pioneers, but they all interpreted the Bible in a different uh, format. And the formats that they've deciphered it in came into, I'm saved by gr the grace of God, you know, by God's grace I'm saved. I don't need to do works. I don't need to do this. You know, I can you know, remain a sloth my entire life and, you know, go to heaven. There's people that go by um, election. By the grace of God, I am part of the elect. And because I am part of the elect, I automatically go to heaven. So, you know, it doesn't make a difference. I'm automatically going to heaven because I'm a Christian. That's not how it works either. See when it comes down to hyper-gracers is that they want to be able to live their life freely but 
they don't believe in free will in a lot of cases. Hypergracism comes from the Calvinist doctrine in most cases. And when people go through Calvin or Tulip, they believe that the elect are the Christians. Christians are God's elect, the church. And that's not how it's painted either. The elect aren't painted as the church. The church is known as the great multitude. Um, when we look at it, um, it says in the Old Testament that God's elect was Jacob and Israel. You know? And that is his elect. But when you go through the book of Isaiah, not the Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 53, but when you go through the entire book of Isaiah, they explain that there's going to be a light to the Gentiles. There's going to be a light that's going to be gifted to them. They explain that the um, God is going to raise his hand to the Gentiles so they can receive salvation. God wished for salvation to go to the end of the entire earth. This is how the book of Isaiah explains it. But we already know that not everybody's going to go to heaven. There are people that are deniers of the Spirit. There are people that don't believe in God. But what is more important is something you need to de determine for yourself. Is the doctrine that you follow more important than the scriptures in the Bible? Or are the scriptures in the Bible more important than the doctrines that you follow? So what this ultimately ends to is when you read the Bible, do you read it in the lens of a doctrine? When you read it into the lens of a doctrine, you're reading it into an interpretation of another person instead of reading the Bible for what it really is. The Bible is the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. That's what you need to really grasp is the parallelism. And parallelism isn't a doctrine. It's a way to read. When you read the Old Testament, and you read the New Testament, and you go back to the Old Testament, and you go back to the New Testament, it goes into a formula. You're going to see stuff. Things that Jesus have said, done, and explained. And all the things that he said and done and explained goes into a parallel. And they have actually have this parallel you can look at online. And it shows you all these different lines that trace to different scriptures. And when you see this, it is so eye-opening because when you learn how to read it this way, you're going to learn that God's word never changes. And Jesus explained God's word from the very beginning. He was known as the word of God. Even Muslims believe that Jesus is the word of God. The difference between it is they don't believe he is God versus Christians believe that God manifested himself in the flesh. And when he came down as the flesh, he became the son of God because he was the only begotten son to come from God. 
He wasn't made out of clay or anything. He was made out of God's full spirit to come in as divine and human. Now, there's different, many, many different beliefs on this, you know. And when you go into the different beliefs of Christianity, even into the early, early church beliefs, right? The early church, they all argued with each other, you know? And they're like, no, we believe that he's fully divine and half human, or they believe that he's half human, half divine. And then other people are like, no, he's fully divine and fully human, you know? And they would always argue with each other. They would bicker and bicker and bicker. The early church fathers, again, were just like a lot of the Protestant ref uh, reformers. They would go in and they would have these different doctrines they would write and they would bicker with each other and try to come to a conclusion. The same way the Orthodox Church of the East and the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, would bicker with each other with the early church fathers that came after the early, early church. And as they would bicker with each other back and forth, what ended up occurring was they would come to a consensus, and from that point, they would move forward in their beliefs. And what really this whole hyper-gracism thing is basically a free ticket to sin and everybody that's listening to me right now I need to understand do you believe that you're able to sin now sinning and coming to repentance is one thing you know it's you acknowledging your sin and going to God and being like I am sorry I had a weak moment you know please forgive me um Hypergracism is more of a case where they're like, I came to Christ, Christ knows my heart, I can willfully sin, and, you know, I'll be repentant for it, but I can keep sinning, essentially. Um, when you go into, um, When you go into this, when you go into hypergrace, it basically the term hypergrace um, emphasizes the grace of God to an exclusion of the teachings of repentance and confession of sin. Um, Like I explained to you, that all sin, past, present, and future, has been forgiven, so there's no need for a believer to confess. Um, the, the issue is, and this is what many, many people believe, whether you're a Catholic, a person from the Orthodox Church, or a Protestant in many cases, that hypergrace teachers are perversions of the grace of God. They use this as a license to sin. 
when preachers preach this doctrine, you know, they discount the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments as irrelevant in most cases to New Testament believers. They'll even say that the Old Covenant no, is no longer applicable to born-again believers. When you look in, look at um, the book of Mark, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my, but my words will never pass away. That's in Mark 13.31. And that was right before... Um, Jesus ascended to heaven. He said that he would, uh, his father would send the Holy Spirit to teach you things and will remind you of everything he has said to you. Um, when you go through this and you <coughs> try to understand in John fourteen twenty six, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance that I have said to you. Now, there's many different cases in how this, uh, how the Holy Spirit has been def defined in this. The ESV says the Helper. The NIV says the Advocate. The CSB says the Counselor. You know the KJV will call it the the comforter right and what is that part of it well that part automatically traces back to Isaiah you know the great counselor you know when we understand that this is part of the counsel of God to intercede with men and uh, God and people you know to make it so that we know it's like a stronger sense of consciousness. We need to know what's right and what's wrong. So if Jesus' words are no longer applicable, why would we need to be reminded of the words? That goes the same way with the elect. Why would we need to be reminded of the words if we are elected by God? There'd be no point for his words to be here if God said, you're elected. So... It comes with a teaching of taking what's in the Bible and distorting it to a way that makes it more applicable to do what you want as a human. And the best way I can explain this, and I'm not trying to um, badmouth Taylor Swift, but... There's been um, a lot of talk about her recently, and she claimed to be a Christian, but she also claims to <coughs> condone abortions. And as we know, throughout the entire book of the Bible, there's many cases where it says, you know, that it's wrong. In fact, the Dadachi, the Dadachi is this early... Um, book of what the apostles taught to people and they actually in the Dadachi would actually use in translation um, murder and abortion in the same sentence as wrong so when people say that you know abortion isn't murder 
well, abortion and murder were in the same sentence when it came down to the Dadachi, or for the the things that the early apostles stated. And this explains to us that any ty type of being erased, you know, taking a person's life and killing, or taking something that is unborn yet and erasing it, that is still considered a sin. So, when we keep going in, um, John 1 9 exp uh, explains if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, if He is can giving us a instruction of confessing sin in 1st John if we confess our sin and we are faithful um, we will be cleansed of our unrighteousness and this is a cause and effect um, thing this is how um, repentance works we caused a sin it led us to be unrighteous and then we go to Christ and say look I've done this I've done this I've done this I've done this uh, please forgive me you know now in the Catholic Church they have a little bit of a difference when it comes down to confession they go to a confession booth they talk to the priest they tell the priests of their sins and then the priest will basically tell them the prayers that they need to say and then they'll go and then they have their prayer their rosaries ready and then they'll start praying um you know and counting each prayer through the uh, the little beads on there So when people like look at certain aspects of this, um, one of them would be like First Timothy one fourteen, for the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. But when they're expressing that, we're in, we're saying that we're saved by grace. The grace of God saved us, but that doesn't mean we go against God's word. So. When we go through all of this, we need to understand a concept of what all this really is. When we go for, for grace, James 4 verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, when we go in 1 Corinthians... 15 verse 10 but by the grace of God I am what I am and this in his grace toward me is not in vain on the contrary I worked harder than any one of them though it was not I but the grace of God that is within me John 1 16 from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is a very point in Romans 5.8. Even though Christ died for us, even though we're sinners, what does that exactly mean? Are we supposed to sin after Christ died for us? No. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we are his enemies were reconciled by God by the death of his son, much more that we're reconciled that we shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So when we look at this and we understand all the stuff to go from points of uh, grace, does that mean we are able to sin? Ephesians 2, 1 through 22, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins of in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were natural children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. But, does that mean that we're all going to be saved? No. And that's what something you guys will have to read in Revelation, because I try not to quote Revelation word for word, because Revelation is a very tricky book. Um, but when people are saying this, then they're saying we deny works. Well, what are works? In James 2.14, what is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save them? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the needs for the body, what good is that? So is faith by itself. If it does not have works, is dead. But if someone said, you have faith and I have works, show me your, your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Ephesians, um, for the grace you have been saved, and this is by not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no no one may boast. For if we are his workmanship, Christ created Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we will walk in them. So what does that exactly mean? So. In James, it's saying that we need to do good works. Basically, it shows the fruits of our labor. We go in and we help people out. 
the same way Jesus helped people. And when you look into Ephesians, he's saying that you've been saved um, through faith. So when you have faith, the grace of God is a gift. This is not something that you did. It's something God is giving you. But it's not a result of works. It's saying, so you can't say, I did all this good stuff, so I deserve to go to heaven. But the works that Jesus did, we are supposed to follow under. And because of that, if we see somebody that's hungry, should we feed them or should we let them starve? Now, many people are going to say, well, there's so many people that, you know, that they're faking being poor and they're faking this and that. Well, yeah, but who are we to judge? You know, we don't know the, the, the depth of their life and if they are being wrong, you know, if they are being liars and deceivers for money. God will have his vengeance upon them. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust, so to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. Now, many people are going to look at this and they're like, Oh, you're only reading the verse. So, when we look at it, I'm going to give you the whole point of it. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love you have shown in the name of serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Now, if we're looking at the apostles, did they just sit around and be like, ah, I got saved by the grace of Jesus, we don't need to do anything? No, they went out and they did as Jesus taught them and showed them and told them what to do. So, they followed Jesus and they did as Jesus taught then where's the wrongness of us doing good things see that's another thing with hyper grace is that you're denying what Jesus wants from people denying what Jesus did for people you're denying um, the things that the Apostles did well that was a different time well no it's that still applies to today if you're gonna go by a book that's written over 2,000 years ago and you're not going to apply the same teachings to your own moral principles that Jesus did himself and made his apostles do then you are just as wrong as any other person and I'd be just as guilty because there's a lot of cases where People will sit down and, yes, there's sometimes we get, people get home from work and they're tired and everything like that. 
but when somebody is sitting out in the cold they have nowhere to go you're gonna let them just freeze somebody is hungry do you know what it's like to starve well they can get a job well do you have money to spare how much does it cost for a biggie bag at Wendy's couple burgers some chicken nuggets and a drink you know these little tiny things that come from the heart of somebody show that somebody can actually love another person not that they are selfish by design for the grace of God but that they are willing to go to another person and tell them hey are you okay now there are people wolves in sheep clothing people that will make up lies and do what they can and then they'll come on to social medias and stuff like that and proclaim all of this bad stuff happened to me so I'm making a GoFundMe and next thing you know $10,000 later you know, they cash out, delete their account on Twitter, and boom. You know, they're buying themselves a new car. So, yeah, are there people that are wrong? You know, if you have money, you know, and a good amount of it, you know, and you're willing to help out another person, do you think God's going to turn a blind eye to the, to the gentleness of your heart to give to somebody else when they're in need? No. Do you think God's going to see the wrongness of that person and how that they manipulated his people for money? And that's another thing, is you can't worship two masters. You cannot worship God and worship money at the same time. And when people are deceiving others or deceiving Christians for money, they're worshiping money higher than God. So, what is the lesson from all of this? Well, hypergracism is not a good case to follow your, your, your beliefs. Take God's word, read the scriptures, parallel them yourself, and understand the truth of God.